It's a real privilege to be with you all today and to speak to you about extending radical hospitality to older people. And um, I've had a passion for working with older people since I was a teenager. I worked, first of all, in a capacity as a nurse working with older people and then latterly I've worked in charities for older people and then five years ago I set up Embracing Age and that is a Christian charity um, extending God's love to particularly the frail elderly but also working with churches in the work that they do amongst older people. So we've got a lot to get through this morning. We want to look at why, first of all, why should we be extending radical hospitality to older people? Then we're going to give you some practical examples. We're going to talk about some of the underlying principles for doing it well. Andy is going to talk a little bit about the work that he's doing in Bangor. And then I'm going to talk a little bit more about the work I do amongst care home residents. So if there's time at the end, we'll also have an opportunity for questions. So that's, what, that's where we're going this morning. I want to start by showing you a really short video. The sound should come through your headphones. Just to give you a little bit of context around um, the society we're living in these days and how the population is ageing. So have a look at this. Our nation is ageing fast. It's a hidden time bomb that no one in the church is talking about. Kofi Annan described it as a revolution with major spiritual implications. In the year 2000, the over-65s accounted for 25% of church attenders. By 2030, that figure is predicted to rise to 45%. That's a massive change. The church model we live with now was established decades ago. Our outreach programs are often designed for families with young children or teenagers. Our church models have failed to change and grow with our changing population. We have kids workers, youth workers, but few ministries for the older generation. The church has always led the way on social reform. We need to change the way we view older people. The church of today should be leading the way in expressing the dignity, value and worth of the older generation. We need to stop seeing older people as the church of yesterday and acknowledge that we're all the church of today. We have the chance to develop and establish ministries for the retired and the elderly. The church has an incredible opportunity to shine the light of the gospel, to model intergenerational connectedness, enriching the lives of young and old alike. We stand on the brink of massive social change. How will you be part of this revolution? That just gives you a glimpse of the um, massive social change that is already amongst us and is going to be getting um, more. The aging, the population is aging more and more. Just to give you another statistic, in the last 15 years, the number of people who've lived to the age of 100 has gone up by 85%. That is massive. And in the church, the church is actually aging more quickly than the rest of society. There's a number of reasons for that, which I won't go into today, but that is what is happening. And one of the things with that is that the, the people in the age 65 to 74 age group is staying relatively static, but the older age group beyond 74 is the age group that's growing the most. So they reckon in the next 12 years within the church environment, the over 85s is going to increase by 50%. And again, that is a massive um, change in the dynamic of our church congregations. So this really is an issue that we need to address. We really need to be thinking now more and more, how do we extend radical hospitality to the older, older people? There's a passage in Zechariah that I want to look at this morning. And it's Zechariah, it's chapter 8, and this is from the message. And it says this, Old men and old women will come back to Jerusalem sit on benches on the streets and spin tails, 
move around safely with their canes, a good city to grow old in. And boys and girls will fill the public parks, laughing and playing, a good city to grow up in. And in the Bible, Jerusalem is often seen as a type of the church. And I want to suggest to you that this is what the church should be like. It should be a good city to grow up in and a good city to grow old in. And I think as a church, we've often focused on being a good city to grow up in. We've invested lots in our children and our youth ministries, and I'm not saying that's wrong at all. It's absolutely vital. But I think we haven't invested enough in our ministry amongst older people. You know, we want the church to be a good place to grow old in. And that's what we're going to address this morning. But I think perhaps the first question we need to consider is, what does it mean to be old? How old is old? Got your headphones on, so I can't invite audience participation here. But um, there was a program um, last October on Channel 4, and it was all about children in care homes. And they asked this four-year-old, how old is really old? And the four-year-old said 30. So by that definition, most of us are pretty ancient here today. Um, But I think it does illustrate that actually age is very relative. And I think the best definition that I've heard about um, what what does it mean to be old or what is old, um, a retired gentleman in, in our church says, old is 10 years older than me. And I think that's really good because it's always relative. We never feel old in ourselves, do we? It's always a generation above us. And it can be hard to think numerically about age because you could have a 90-year-old who is running around doing lots of things, cycling everywhere, and you could have a 65-year-old who is actually quite incapacitated. So a really good way to think about getting older is to think in terms of the third age and the fourth age. So if we think as the third age, as people who are retired, but they're active in their retirement, and then the fourth age as being people who are retired, but actually frailty and perhaps physical or cognitive disabilities have mean that they can't be as independent as they would like to be. And that that can be really, because you could, as I say, be 95 and be in the third age, you could be 65 and in the fourth age. So it's just a helpful way of thinking about it. And what I want to focus on this morning is people in the fourth age of life. We've only got an hour. And I just want to say as a caveat to that, that I'm, I'm not perpetuating the myth that older people are needy. You know, I think it's easy to, to fall into that and to, to not realise that actually across our age range, you know, until we die, we've all got something to give, however old we are. But it's just specifically this morning, I'm going to be talking about ministry amongst people in the fourth age of life. And Andy will talk a bit more perhaps about uh, ministry amongst the third age. So what I thought it might be helpful to do is just to give you a couple of examples of, of people in the fourth age of life, just to help you get a picture of the sort of thing I'm talking about. And you will all identify different people through these different images. Um, These are real people, but I've changed their names. So Gladys, she's a beautiful, lovely lady. She's been a faithful member of the church for over 40 years, longer than I've been there. Her husband died three years ago. Two years ago, she was diagnosed with dementia, and that is getting progressively worse and uh, her son has moved in to live with her as her main carer. Gladys still attends church on a Sunday. Her son has to bring her um, but she's becoming increasingly confused. She gets tearful very easily. She's struggling with her mobility as well. She's a lady in the fourth age of life. And then there's Alan Alan is married. He's got grown-up children and grandchildren. He lives with his wife. And he was diagnosed with dementia over five years ago. And um, he's now what you would say in the very advanced stages of dementia. He can't speak anymore. He's not mobile. His wife doesn't drive, so um, getting to church can be very difficult. She has to take him on the bus in the wheelchair. 
And, and actually, people don't visit that much anymore because they feel inadequate trying to communicate with Alan because he can't really talk back anymore. So it means not only is Alan more isolated, but his wife is more isolated as well. And then there's Jean. So Jean never married. She hasn't got any family. She's been a regular attender of various activities, seniors' activities in the church for, for many years. But um, a little while ago, she had a number of falls that were quite serious. And she's now moved into a local care home because she can't manage on her own at home. Mentally, she's very with it. She's very alert. But she had to move into the care home because she can't manage physically. So these are all people in the, the fourth age of life, and I'm sure you can identify within your own congregations people like that. And, you know, Jesus said, and you'll be very familiar with this in Matthew 25, Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, or the message puts it like this, whatever you did for someone overlooked and ignored, you did for me. And I think this phrase, overlooked and ignored, is... A really apt phrase for people in the in the fourth age of life because it can be so easy to be out of sight and out of mind and they can be so overlooked and ignored. So if we want to offer radical hospitality to people in the fourth age of life or even in the third age of life for that matter to ensure that they're not overlooked and ignored the first thing we need to consider before we can go into any practical examples is how do we view older people? Because how we view older people will influence whether the church is a good place to grow old in or whether it's not. And there is a temptation to view frail older people as somehow of less value. You know, they can't fill a slot on any of the church rotors anymore, potentially. Um, they maybe haven't got as much to give in practical areas as, as other people. It's almost as if, and we kind of know in our heads this isn't true, but sometimes we don't act like it, you know, but it's almost as if our value is based on what we contribute. So when people start losing their cognition or when they start losing physical ability, are they of any less value? Are they somehow less of a person? And what I want to do this morning is just consider four things about what the Bible says that it means to be human, to be a person, and to show that actually these things don't change over time. So how do we view older people? These are the four things. As human beings, and I'm going to go into each of these um, in a minute in more depth, but we're dependent Oh, that we're created in the image of God, we're loved, and we're relational. We've been created for relationship. And if you want to read a bit more about this, um, there's a book called um, Dementia, Living in the Memories of God by John Swinton. Now, I will add a caveat to this book. John Swinton is um, an academic theologian, and it's not an easy read, this book, but it has got some really good stuff in it. And, and the stuff I'm going to say around this area, I've taken from that book, but adapted it um, a little bit as well. So the first thing, we are dependent. This is a really hard thing for most of us to swallow because you know what? We all value our independence so highly, don't we? I was talking about this to a group of seniors at our church the other day, and they're all saying, but I want to be independent for as long as possible. Um, so bear with me on this, because this is a challenge for all of us, whatever our age. But actually, as human beings, we've been created to be dependent, to be dependent on God and dependent on one another. And what I want to do is just read you an excerpt that I read in a magazine a few years ago, at an event very similar to this actually, and I was so struck by it that I ripped it out and I've kept it. So it's a little bit long, but you'll see it's worth the read. Um, this was written by John Stott. Now, John Stott was um, a theologian, and at the age of 88, he had a fall and he fractured his hip, and it meant that he was then very dependent on others for a period of his life. And reflecting on it, this is what he wrote. 
We come into this world totally dependent on the love, care and protection of others. We go through a phase of life when other people are dependent on us. And most of us will go out of this world totally dependent on the love and care of others. And this isn't an evil, destructive reality. It is part of the design, part of the physical nature God has given us. I sometimes hear old people, including Christian people who really ought to know better, say, I don't want to be a burden to anyone else. I'm happy to carry on living so long as I can look after myself. But as soon as I become a burden, I would rather die. But this is wrong. We're all designed to be a burden to others. You are designed to be a burden to me, and I am designed to be a burden to you. And the life of the family, including the life of the local church family, should be one of mutual burdensomeness. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Christ himself takes on the dignity of dependence. He is born a baby totally dependent on the care of his mother. He needs to be fed. He needs his bottom to be wiped. He needs to be propped up when he rolls over. And yet, he never loses his divine dignity. And at the end, on the cross, he again becomes totally dependent, limbs pierced and stretched, unable to move. So, In the person of Christ, we learn that dependence does not, cannot deprive a person of their dignity, of their supreme worth. And if dependence was appropriate for the God of the universe, it is certainly appropriate for us. Really challenging words there from John Stott, something to take away and think about. But actually, Tim last night was talking about when Jesus sent out the 12, and how he told them, take nothing with you on your journey. And um, it's, when I've always read that, I thought, yes, you know, they've got to be dependent on God. But I was reading it the other day, and I thought, actually, it's not just that they've got to be dependent on God. They've got to be dependent on others, because when they go into a town, they've got to have somewhere to stay in that town, and the people of that town are going to give them somewhere to stay. So Jesus isn't only sending them out to be dependent on him, he's sending them out to be dependent on others as well. So that's the first thing, that we're created to be dependent. And then secondly, we're created in the image of God. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it says in Genesis 2 verse 7, The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You know, this is amazing stuff. We have the breath of God in us. We've been created in the image of God. That's why Jesus could say, whatever you did, For the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Because we've got the breath of God in us as well. And our identity flows from this. You know, we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. You've probably heard the saying, um, it was from the Enlightenment where Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. That's not true. You know, what about when you can't think anymore? What about when you've got cognitive problems? The fact is, I'm a daughter of the King of Kings, therefore I am. And that is never going to change. You know, you are sons and daughters of the King of Kings, and that is never going to change. And people in the fourth age of life, they're also sons and daughters of the King of Kings. He died for them as well. So all these truths remain true throughout our lifetime, whatever our cognitive ability, whatever our physical ability. A frail old lady in a care home with dementia is still created in the image of God. The third thing I want to think about, my pages have got mixed up, there we are, is that, and it moves on from that really, that we are loved. 
I'm loved. You're loved. People in the fourth age of life are deeply loved. And, you know, I always find it interesting, the Apostle John, you know, he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, you know, he saw so much in his life. He experienced so much. And yet towards the end of his life, what he is often writing about is love. You know, of all the things he's seen, done and heard, he focuses in on love time and time again. And he says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And, you know, if you take nothing else from this seminar, other than a renewed sense of how loved you are, you will be empowered to change the world. And the thing about God's love for us is that it's not based on anything we've done, anything we haven't done, anything we do, anything we can't do. It's just the fact that he loves us, full stop, that's it. And he he doesn't love us because we love him and we serve him. He initiated it in the first place as while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, you know, I know this is really basic truth, but when you've been a Christian a long time, I've been a Christian for over 40 years, it's really easy to almost leave those basic truths behind us, you know, to slip into performance mode. I even had to think about that this morning when I was praying, Lord, help me with this seminar. And then I just thought, it doesn't matter. I'm loved. I'm a child of God. Even if this goes pear-shaped, I'm still loved. I'm still a child of God. You know, it's not about performance mode. So often we can think, have I read my Bible enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I been holy enough, you know, for God to still accept me? It was never about what you did. It's all about what Jesus did and how much he loves us. And actually, when we start thinking about that, when we get into performance mode, it actually distances us from God because we still somehow think we've, we've got to work for it or we start comparing ourselves with other people. That's even worse, you know, and then either we come away feeling good about ourselves and a bit proud or we come away feeling really rubbish about ourselves, you know, and all that is just distances us from God and it distances us from other people because it's not about our performance at all, never was, never will be. And, you know, if you think about a baby, a baby in its mother's arms that's just been born. You know, all that baby is really going to do is poo and cry, need feeding. But that mother loves that baby. It's not about anything that that baby ever does. And of course, that baby's got to grow up. It's got to learn to walk. It's got to learn to feed itself. It's got to learn to be dependent. But when it's learning all those things, when it's doing all those things, it's not doing it to be loved. It's loved anyway. You know, and as we grow and mature in our Christian walk... It's not that we're doing it to be loved because we're loved anyway. So as I say, take that one thing away with you today and you'll be empowered to change the world. Romans goes on to tell us, For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And perhaps we can add to that, neither frailty nor dementia, even that can't separate us from the love of God. And perhaps if you're at that age where you're starting to worry a little bit about dementia, perhaps you need to hear that this morning. You know, that's not going to ever separate you from the love of God. So finally then, we're dependent, we're created in the image of God, we're loved, we're created for relationship. Human beings are designed for relationship. In Genesis 2, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Since the beginning of time, it's never good for man to be alone. And we see that truth so evident in society today with so much loneliness. And we see there's so much research now around the effects of loneliness. I think one of the statistics about that is that it's uh, you're more likely to die from loneliness than from smoking 15 cigarettes a day or something like that. You know, the effects of loneliness is absolutely profound. We're designed for relationship, relationship with God, but also relationship with one another. And, you know, loneliness can affect people at any stage of life, from children right through the lifespan. But I think particularly 
for people in the fourth age of life, there's a real risk of loneliness because they're experiencing so much loss in their life potentially. You know, loved ones might have died they might be losing their physical abilities which means that they can't get out so much they might be having cognitive problems research shows that people with dementia are much more likely to experience loneliness oh just one statistic for you that i got off the age uk website yesterday is that 49 percent of older people say that the tv or pets are their main companion how sad is that when we're designed for relationships so bringing this all together then, how does this um, translate into practice? How can we make sure that our churches and our communities are a good place to grow old? And what I think is that these truths are a foundation on which we can build everything else. Because as I say, how we view older people will affect how we act towards them and whether our churches and our places, our communities are good places to grow old and what I want to suggest um, in these last few minutes is three things that um, three actions that can be built on top of this foundation and the first is this the really simple thing so hopefully easy for you to remember we need to look you know we need to be intentional about looking where older people are especially people in the fourth age of life because they're not always going to be in your congregation On a Sunday morning, they're going to be at home, potentially, because they can't get to church. They're going to be in care homes. So really look at where the need is and where the older people are. And then secondly, listen. It can be really easy to have good intentions and think, oh, I think we should start a lunch club for older people. And you full-on get volunteers. But what you haven't done, you haven't asked the older people in your congregation, in your community, would you like a lunch club? Is that something that would be of interest to you? It might be actually what they would really appreciate is a computer club because technology is moving on so quickly and they're being left behind. So let's listen to older people. What are their needs? How can we best meet their needs? Also, you know, older people have got so much to give in terms of a lifetime of wisdom and experience. Let's listen to their stories. Let's get their wisdom from them let's learn about what's happened in our history that we can actually learn from rather than repeating the same lessons all over again Um, so looking and listening are really the first two important steps if we're going to um, do things well and then finally love and you know love is expressed in both word and in our deeds as well love is very practical it might mean just sitting and chatting with an older person for an hour, finding out their, their story, getting to know them. It might be taking someone shopping, giving them a lift somewhere where they need to go. It might be, as I say, computer classes. Um, it might be starting a support group for people with dementia. It could be absolutely anything. You know, Once we've looked and once we've listened, then we'll have more of an idea about what the practical outworking of that is. Um, but also, let's not forget that love is in our words as well. You know, Let's encourage older people. Let's remind them that they are sons and daughters of the King of Kings, that they are highly valued and that they're loved. And if, if they're an older person who's becoming more dependent, maybe tell them, read that bit to them about John Stott, you know, and, and let them know what a privilege it is for us to be able to carry their burdens with them. Let's make sure our older people feel loved and appreciated. And, you know, as we offer unconditional love to people who perhaps society has undervalued, society has overlooked and society has ignored, we're actually being a real prophetic display of the love of God. You know, when um, Jesus said, this is how people will know that you are my disciples, it wasn't by the great meetings that you had. It wasn't by the excellent uh, lunch club you put on. It wasn't by the um, excellent outreach event or your excellent worship and things like that. How will people know it was by the love 
that we have for one another. That's why it's such a prophetic display when we love people who perhaps are unloved and overlooked in society. We are really reflecting the heart of God to a broken world. So on that note, I'm going to invite Andy to come up and talk a little bit about what he's been up to in Bangor, and then I'm going to come back and just share at the end a little bit about some of the stuff I'm involved in. Thanks very much, Tina. Oh, excuse me. Listening to uh, Tina giving a definition of somebody as old as being someone 10 years older reminded me of my old granny who used to read the Belfast Telegraph where we came from. I'm breaking the place up. She used to read the Belfast Telegraph well into her uh, late 80s and she would come off with something like, oh, that old lady around the corner is dead. And she was maybe the same age as her, but her, my granny, this was an old lady and she never thought herself as an old lady. I still think of myself as an 18-year-old, I don't know about you. But we kind of grow up and we don't realise that, that time is going on until our bodies tell us that, that is the case. But my first encounter with... Uh, older people as a Christian was shortly after I became a Christian in my early 20s. And the associate minister of the church I was in in England at that time uh, paired me up with a gentleman who was in his mid-90s and had become a Christian in his late 80s. An old Sam, when you visited him and chatted, he reminisced about the First World War that he had fought in as a young man and the tears would just fill his eyes and he would say, oh, how lucky I am that God saved me when I was so old and all of my friends went over the top and died. And there was a real passion in his thinking for those who were not uh, Christians. And that was wonderful to see because it was a great example to uh, all of us that knew him, that he really loved the Lord and wanted other people to know him. And when I came back to Northern Ireland and became a member of a church uh, in the Belfast area, uh, I really was very interested in older people in our church. And uh, the, the very first real contact with an elderly person in our church was a lady who was complaining, well she wasn't really moaning a lot but she was talking about her ailments and how uh, painful things were and how she needed to get her uh, house painted and she she didn't know how she was going to do it. And very typically as we often do in churches, I just put my hand on her shoulder and said well God is with you and then walked away. And when I walked away I kind of thought well that's not really the response she needs. She needs some help. So I went back and said, what is it you need done in the house? And she said she needed her living room painted and uh, all this kind of stuff. I'd never painted in my life. And uh, so I went to her house and did it. And it did such a bad job that I had to get somebody else from the church to come later and uh, do it properly. But for her, that didn't matter. It was the fact that somebody younger actually took an interest in her. And uh, I will uh, say a few things about what goes on in our church in a little second, and I won't say an awful lot about that. But one of the things that strikes me in uh, ministry among seniors is the absolute need for an intergenerational interface where people in our churches are brought together. We get so compartmentalized in the way that we do things Uh, We uh, copy the world in the way that we uh, build a generation gap into the way that we do church. And we really need to rethink things and to look for those opportunities to create intergenerational contact that will be a great benefit to our older people and also to our younger in what they can learn from each other. I learned a wee bit how better to paint somebody's house from the experts who did it after me. But there's so much that we can learn from each other. Now, in our church, and I think you have a a handout which gives uh, some details about the kind of things that we do. Let me say, first of all, that ours is a very big church. And in a very big church, you have uh, more potential 
in a certain way to do things that you can't in a small church. Most of my ministry has been in very small churches uh, in France where um, we were involved in church planting. And let me say, uh, don't be put off by anything that's on this list. If you're from a small church, you have already the wonderful potential for built-in community and for people to get to know each other uh, in a more intimate way than is often the case in, in bigger churches. I've just come across a book in the bookshop on arriving this morning, which is called Scrappy Church, where someone is complaining about the big church down the, down the road that has just started up. They're attracting all the young people, and they're taking away all the folks who used to be part of our church. But small church can be beautiful church, so don't be intimidated if you can't do a lot of things that can be done in bigger churches. Smaller churches can be a wonderful opportunity for the kind of intergenerational community that I'm talking about. Um, we, we have a lot of uh, ministries among seniors in our church. We have a lot of people who are in both the, the third age and the fourth age. We actually have a, a, a retired minister who's in his 80s himself and whom we employ in the church to do a lot of visitation of the elderly, particularly those who are in, in nursing homes uh, and many of whom have dementia. And that's a wonderful ministry that a gentleman who himself is approaching what we would call the fourth age is involved with. We have a dedicated team of visitors in what we call our senior care team who call with uh, people, and, and I give them not too many people to call with, but just a few people that they can uh, call with on a regular basis, get to know uh, uh, people who are uh, bound, uh, housebound, and can't get out very much, and our team will meet up with them, will pray with them, will tell them the news about the church, because they can't get out to church again, uh, very much now, and uh, we'll do things on a practical level, like maybe bring them shopping in or, 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 or stuff like that. And uh, again, a good half of the people on our senior care team are uh, retired people themselves. And this is the big thing that I think uh, we can tap into in our churches. The, the, the people who are probably of the third age, uh, as Tina defined them, who are active and who can be involved in serving others. Uh, many of them reaching retirement kind of think, well, I've done my part, I'm finished, time to take a rest. Uh, and yet there is so much potential that we can tap into in our churches for service to others. In actual fact, I've, I've written on that handout, most of the volunteers uh, uh, that are part of the ministries that we have in the church among seniors are themselves seniors. We couldn't do without them. Our oldest uh, member of our church catering team is 93. And even though uh, all she says she can do is peel carrots or potatoes, well, that is a ministry. She's peeling carrots and potatoes and she's there to do it. And uh, it's wonderful to have folks like these who are willing uh, to, to use uh, what they have to serve God. Uh, in terms of interchurch stuff, I think this is so important when we're talking about ministry among and, and for seniors. Uh, we have a, a, a Friday men's fellowship every week in the church, and uh, these men are all retired. The youngest is probably uh, around early 70s, and it goes away up. And I have a standing joke with a lot of them. I'll, I'll go and, and, and sit where they're having their cup of tea beforehand with a, a team of ladies who make scones and who pre prepare the tea, and they all meet uh, about 45 minutes before uh, the meeting with the speaker. And, you know, I'll go up to some of them and say, uh, who was the speaker last week? Oh, I couldn't tell you. And they'll ask them, who's the speaker today? Having a clue. And, you know, it's wonderful that they're coming to a meeting and they're hearing a speaker and they're singing and the, and the singing is wonderful. Uh, all the old times, uh, all the old time songs like My Shackles Are Gone, where we have a, a standing joke that you can't sing that in Israel. My shackles are gone. But, uh, uh, you know, we ask them who was the speaker and they really don't remember. But that isn't the point. They are getting good teaching, but they're getting community. And they're having a cup of tea together. Many of them are widows, widowers. And uh, this is an opportunity from different churches, brethren, Presbyterian, Baptist, different Pentecostals, uh, and some who aren't yet Christians, coming along and meeting with other men and having that opportunity for community. 
similar to uh, as regards our monthly seniors lunch um, people who are coming and are just enjoying the, the time to have a chat together around the table uh, the meal is lovely catering team does a great job but actually probably the most important aspect is the buzz that you hear in the room as uh, probably 60, 70 plus people are meeting for a nice meal together and latterly we've, we've uh, opened it up to people from uh, a local uh, care home and a dozen people uh, are coming uh, to uh, enjoy this meal as well even though they're well fed in the nursing home but they're able to get out and get into some kind of community uh, and be with other people. Do you know, nursing homes can be among some of the loneliest places, which is why it, it, it's wonderful that, that in our country there is so much opening for churches to get in uh, and to befriend people in these nursing homes and to chat with them. And uh, that's why I want to say a few things about uh, external ministries that are associated um, with our church. I had a an email from the activities director of a local care home appealing for help. Is there anything your church could do uh, and come into our home uh, and, and have people uh, bring some kind of uh, Christian presence uh, into our home? This, this man wasn't a Christian himself, a director of activities, but he asked if churches could be involved. And uh, myself and, and another gentleman, but mainly the other gentleman, will, will go in on, on a weekly basis. If I go in, I just bring the guitar and we we'll sing some of the old camolies uh, that the uh, older people will know. And then we'll sing Sunday school uh, choruses. And you know, it's amazing to see some of these older people who uh, sit in their chair and don't talk and don't seem to respond to anything. But when they hear the old songs and when they hear uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, and Jesus wants me for a sunbeam and that kind of thing, they light up and some of them will sing along and then they'll go back to sleep again. But just a wonderful opportunity. This, the, the other gentleman goes into one home on a Monday and another home on a Saturday, makes himself available to chat with whoever wants to have a wee chat and very often spiritual things will come up and a number of the people who that he uh, that he talks to aren't Christians and, and, and he'll be able to, to chat to them about the Lord. But uh, again, uh, something from the church into the community. Uh, we started a, a Sunday morning service uh, in another local home once a month and that came about because some of the people there were saying, you know, we do like people coming in and, and taking a meeting for us, but we miss going to church on a Sunday and we can't go anymore. And so we felt, well, we'll do something on a Sunday morning, once a Sunday, uh, once a month. And there uh, we, we have a good number of people who are coming along and really enjoying uh, being there. Uh, a, a real blessing from that was on, on the very first occasion we did this monthly service. Uh, a gentleman who had uh, moved into that particular home and was finding it very, very difficult to settle uh, in a, a nursing home and out of his own house said to me, this is a turning point for me because I've been really struggling living here. But having a service and knowing that God is here, that has made such a difference to me. So there's community involvement that we can have. Um, just very, very quickly, at the end of your sheet, I've mentioned a thing called Churches Enabling Seniors. This is a small uh, inter-church group that we have in Bangor, looking at the whole area of ministry among seniors. Um, we uh, are trying to see what we can do in our own churches. And really we've come to the conclusion that in terms of ministry to and among seniors, a lot of the motivation has to come from the front, has to come from the pulpit. Very difficult to get our ministers to understand how vitally important it is uh, that we see the value of older people not only in our churches, but outside the churches. There is so much activity for young people, and that's great, but we mustn't forget our older people. We had uh, conferences with, uh, within the, uh, under the auspices of this inter-church group, and uh, the speaker for these was a gentleman called uh, uh, Roger Hitchings. And one of the things he said in our church, because we got him to preach uh, on the Sunday morning, one of the things he said in our church was, you know, we keep saying the young people are the future of the church. And he said, it's not true. God is the future of the church. And as a church, we've got to work together, young and old, to uh, make sure there isn't that generation gap that exists in the world, because that is the testimony of our love to the outside world. And we've got an awful long way to go, I feel, uh, in terms of doing that. But I I'll just finish there. 
um, I, I've brought along uh, some resources. Let me just go and get one. Because I'm ministering in a, in a Presbyterian church, I'm going to make a, a, a bit of publicity for the Presbyterian publication, which is called Guidelines for Pastoral Care of Older Generations. This is a wonderful little resource that you can order on the um, PCI, Presbyterian Church in Ireland website, and it's a great little introduction to ministering among seniors. I have a few copies of the first chapter here, and uh, if anyone wants them, you can take it. And in terms of general uh, pastoral care, including that of older people, because we need more and more pastoral teams. Uh, churches can't rely on ministers alone to do it all. Um, there's a, a, a leaflet about a resourcing pastoral carers course. Uh, it's in Belfast uh, in September, but it can be uh, brought to, to other places outside Belfast. Uh, and this will give you an idea of the kind of team that can be built up in your church and that can be very usefully employed uh, to uh, minister among seniors and others. Thank you very much. So I just want to spend the last few minutes talking about a project that I'm involved in called Care Home Friends. And as Andy said, you know, actually in a care home, you can still feel very alone. In fact, research shows that older people in care homes are twice as likely to feel severely lonely as older people living out in the community. And uh, one uh, old lady in a care home put it to me like this. She said, you can feel alone in a crowd you really can and so what we do is is train volunteers to go into care homes and spend time with residents and uh, one resident um, from one of our local care homes she drew this picture she painted it should I say and she'd moved into a care home because again she physical needs that she had and mentally she was very alert and she really struggled psychologically to adapt to being in a care home and so this picture is meant to um, show her in in a stormy sea um, not knowing where to turn feeling completely alone and completely helpless and I thought that was really powerful image of what it can be like for an older person moving into a care home so as I say we train volunteers to go into care homes and um, spend time with residents and we particularly don't run services in care homes. We, are, we get volunteers to, to go in and be with residents. But we, we work with churches who say to us, you know, we go and run a service in a care home and we see so much need and we don't know what to do. And so we come along and say, let's help you raise up an army of volunteers to spend time with residents. So it could be just simply chatting with residents. We've got volunteers who um, do manicures and hand massages um, the power of touch or we've got residents who uh, volunteers who take residents out for a walk that's one of our volunteers Chris taking a lady out for a walk and again she'd really struggled to adapt to a care home environment and one lady that we take out for a walk she said it absolutely transformed my life you know she'd been feeling so almost in a prison and she said just to be out in the normal world doing normal things with normal people it just made such a difference to her or it could be doing something like playing a game of chess you know staff just don't have the time to do that sort of thing we've got a 14 year old boy who plays chess with a 90 year old um, and one thing we've realized is that actually it doesn't take a lot to make a huge difference in people's lives I go every week and I visit a lady with dementia in a care home and she's very advanced in her dementia so I can actually only spend half an hour with her because she's so frail but often she'll say to me at the end of the visit thank you so much for coming to see me it's just so nice to have someone to talk to this is a lady she's got no other relatives no friends I'm her only visitor and for that half an hour a week nothing from my point of view in terms of my time and yet for her it, it means the world so that's what we do and this is our vision, if you like. We, um, this is another one of our volunteers, actually, um, with Andy talking about the intergenerational aspect. So this is Maria. She's still at school. She goes to a care home. So I love this photo. But there's, across the UK, there's 
50,000 churches and there's 17,500 care homes. And what we want to see happen is that every care home is adopted by a local church with trained volunteers going in, spending time with residents. Now, to put that in some context for you for Northern Ireland, in Northern Ireland there's about 2,000 churches and about 450 care homes. So even if only one in four churches got involved, every single care home in Northern Ireland could be adopted by a local church. We could have an army. And and as Andy was saying, there seems to be such an openness, you know, that um, care homes want people to go in and spend time with their residents so that's what we do that's what it's all about um if you're interested there's all there's leaflets on your seats you know and this is one thing if you're a small church actually that's okay because all it needs is one person to champion the cause and for them to um recruit two or three volunteers and you can still make a difference so um have a chat with me afterwards or my contact details are on the leaflet if you're interested and i just thought i'd finish with a really really brief story um one of our volunteers um, goes into a care home and she used to visit a gentleman called albert and albert had had a leg amputated he'd been an officer in the war and um he was confined to a wheelchair and she used to go in every week and she used to give him a hand massage and a manicure. Now we, to be honest, thought it was a little bit odd that um, Albert loved this manicure so much, but he had been an officer in the army. He was probably very well groomed and he would look forward to it so much every week to this volunteer coming in and giving him um, this hand massage and this manicure. And so one week we asked him, he said, Albert, why do you look forward to this so much? Why do you like it so much? And actually Albert started to cry. And he said, it's the only touch that I get. It's the only time someone holds my hand. That's the sort of difference that we can make in people's lives. Thank you. And Adina, thank you so much for your input. I think we're out of time in terms of formal questioning. You guys are still around at the end, so I'm sure there's loads of things that we'd love to pick up on and to develop. Uh, very inspirational. Thank you. Very practical. Uh, certainly lots of things we can take away uh, with us and spread into the communities that we're part of. So thank you. The Lord bless you both. And guys, the Lord bless you as you take this and shape this and be active in your response. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day at New Horizon. Please give us feedback. And the prayer tent is here as well. If you want to just take time to reflect, to respond, please do take advantage of that as well. But thank you very much indeed. Can we get the round of applause, please? Thank you.